If a Christian doesn't pray about heaven, that's a remarkable lack. Who ever heard of exiles not thinking about home? Now, I said, that's exactly what the rosary is. We are in a new moment of time and a new moment of space. So we keep saying to our Lord and to the Blessed Mother, I love you, I love you. That's the Holy Rosary. That's the Catholic faith. The whole Catholic faith is in it. Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade, your Rosary on the Road. A blessed feast of St. Nicholas to everybody as we wind into the second week of Advent. I've got a special and rather sad prayer today uh, for uh, S and T, or the names. Uh, they are um, husband and wife, and they just recently lost a baby, which is a pretty rough way to come into the uh, into Christmas, and it's a pretty rough way to start out Advent. Uh, it's a lot of joy that turns to a lot of sorrow. Joy that comes out of sorrow sorrow that comes out of joy is usually a little bit more poignant because the the fall feels a little bit stronger the whiplash is a little bit strong a little bit harder and uh it's a little bit rough more rough than it would be otherwise not that there's ever really a good time to suffer that sort of thing but it also serves as a reminder for for us as we come into christmas and it is a joyful occasion that the little baby that is born on the 25th came into this world explicitly to suffer and that maybe that will give us a better opportunity to unite our suffering to his and make better uh, men and women of all of us but I'd like to pray for them and uh, and pray for their baby uh, for the repose of, uh, of his soul uh, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what happens to babies who are unbaptized and they don't exactly go to hell, but they don't exactly go to heaven either. Uh, but they are perfectly happy, and we have that reassurance from the church that that is the case. So, uh, more prayer for S and for T than for the little baby. If you have a prayer request, I know this one's a very heavy one, but if you have any prayer requests at all, heavy, light, uh, you know, may, uh, very serious, or, or even just a, a daily concern, you should write those in. I'd love to pray for you, especially now. Uh, the prayers that we say here, the prayers that I that I say that I offer, all those prayer intentions are part of uh, a reparation that I I am performing personally. And during a penitential season like this, it's better to have more reparation than less. So please help me out. Send in prayer requests that you have. You can send them to daily decade requests at protonmail.com. That's decade D E C A D E requests in the plural. Or you can reach out and leave a comment on our website, praytherosaryeveryday.wordpress.com, or where we're syndicated at exodusamericanus.com. You can also send a message to at the daily decade on Gab. Uh, you can also reach out to me personally, Mario Goretti, at nobodyhasthe.biz which is part of the Fediverse, if anybody is starting to float over in that direction. Many of my listeners are already there. So, 
Uh, all those different ways you can send in prayers and prayer requests, intentions that you have, concerns, repose of the soul. Uh, this is a time when we start thinking about a lot of dead loved ones. Uh, be more than happy to pray requiems for all of them. Just send them all, all in. Now then, let's go ahead and turn our hearts and our minds to God now and pray for S and T and the, the anonymous little child called home by our Lord. I have to get my rosary out. It got all tangled in my pocket. It's one of the problems with chain rosaries is they do tend to get a little bit tangled up sometimes. There we go. And today is a Monday, which means we'll be praying in Latin today. In nomine Patris, Efidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, quies in Celis, sanctificere nomen tuum. Adveniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cedo et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie. Et de nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos debitimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationum, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen.
Ave Maria, Grazia Plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostri. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicur erat in principio, et nunc, et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, vita dolcedo et spes nostri, salve. A te clamamus, exudis filia evi, a te suspiramus, gementes et flentes in hac lac romarum, vale. Aia ergo, advocata nostra, ilos tuos misericordes, oculos ad nos converte, et Jesum, viatum fructum ventris tui, nobis postoc exilium ostende, o clemens, o pia, o dulce Virgo Maria. Ora pro nobis, sancta de genetrix, ut digni officiamor promissionibus Christi. Oremus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Saint Elizabeth, mother of Saint John the Baptist, before thou wast gifted thy son John in thy old age, thou endurest thou endured long years of shame in thy community for lack of a child and pain at the denial of a child before God saw fit to reward thy patience and thy faith. We therefore come before thee and humbly beg thy intercession on behalf of the servant of God and the handmaiden of God who that they might overcome all doubts and be filled with the patience and the faith and the trust in God which did win thee thy son John to be a prophet of the Most High. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the same that for whom John prepared the way who now livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. For all of us in our times of trial and doubt, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacratissimum Coriezu, Miseri Nobis. Sacratissimum Coriezu, Miseri Nobis. Sacratissimum Coriezu, Adveniat Regnum Tum. In nomine Patris, Ephidiat Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Well, today is the Feast of St. Nicholas, so it would be hard to pass through it without mentioning something about him, and I hope that everybody is keeping the feast. Uh, there are a lot of wonderful traditions, particularly if you have children, a lot of wonderful traditions that St. Nicholas Day affords to uh, celebrate, and it's a good, uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, meant to be uh, 
a, a, a pause in the Advent preparations for Christmas, but it is something of a way station. You know, we're given these little way stations throughout these seasons to strengthen us. As our Lord said of the, the apostles during his agony, which is what we're going to talk about today, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we are here to have ourselves strengthened when we have these little way stations along the way to uh, the great feasts of the church. In in this case, in Advent, we have these little feasts before we get to the big one. And uh, and likewise in Lent, there are little way stations. Um, And not just the... uh, uh, Not just the... uh, The the Sunday... um, Goodness gracious, why can't I remember? I'm thinking Gaudete Sunday, but that's this uh, Laetari. There we are. Gaudete and Laetari aren't the only uh, way stations. There are other feasts as well. And we should use them as way stations to, uh, to, to pause, reflect on what we're doing, reflect on how, how, we're, how we're doing, and to celebrate the achievement that we are aiming for that this saint has already reached, which is sainthood. To redouble our efforts and then get back to it. That's the same thing that Laetari and Gaudete Sundays are supposed to do. It's supposed to be a moment for us to pause and reflect that we are almost to where we need to be. What more do we have to do to get there? Well, that's what they're supposed to do for those that are deep in the season anyway. So it's an opportunity, and I, I think it's a good thing for all of us to take that opportunity when we come to these feast days and keep the feast days as much as we can. Uh, we've gotten to a point, and I, I'm so happy with the way that my wife handles these things. We've gotten to a point where we mention, oh, it's so it's feast of so-and-so. And my children will say, oh, what are we doing for that? Because my wife always puts something aside and does something special for the for the individual feasts that are significant in the church's year and then significant for our family as well. That's why it's so important to know the saints of your people and of your ancestry and hold on to those. Those saints were given to your bloodline and to your nation, your people, in order to sanctify them. We are sanctified in the flesh and a defining part of the flesh is the clan and the nation and the race to which we belong. Those are things that can't be ignored. Now, it's they're not to be things that supplant God or His whole, or drive us against His Holy Church, but they are there, nevertheless, to help to bring us towards God. Today, I want to talk about the. We are in the sorrowful mysteries. We're continuing the series that we've been doing, <clears throat> and uh, today, the first sorrowful mystery is the agony in the garden. The agony in the garden is one of those things that has drawn a lot of controversy, actually. It's, or rather, it's been the focal point of some controversies. I haven't drawn anything. Uh, because of the significance that it occupies in the Passion. It's really the formal starting point of our Lord's Passion. And it's a, a moment in which His humanity manifests itself in in fullness and reminds us that he is truly fully man and as Saint Athanasius said that which is not assumed is not saved so it's really important that he be fully man because otherwise none of us benefit from the cross and the agony in the garden is there 
to remind us now, of course, in our Lord's life, it, was, it served a very specific purpose for him, but we remember it and we are taught to remember it because of what it does for us, which is to remind us of the humanity of the God-man who dies on the cross for us. And it is in this moment that we see the flesh and the spirit struggle and put right by God. God takes on, the Son takes on this mantle of humanity. That's... I, that risks Apollonian, Apollonarianism, so I don't want to fall into heresy, but he, he becomes man so as to put disordered man into order and to bring the flesh and the spirit into harmony. And that's why when he goes into the garden, he, he tells the apostles, wait with me but an hour. It's a very small thing. Just, just imitate me in this little way. Wait with me but an hour. And he gives them three chances to do this. Chance after chance after chance. And they fail every single time. Because in many ways, what he's illustrating there is they're left to their own power. They're left to themselves. He has gone away from them into the garden. And so they don't have him to strengthen them. And they stand on their own. And so while they are called specifically by him, and he says this about his apostles, that they are specifically chosen and not chosen at random, but like Christ goes up into the mountain, this is in the Gospel of Mark, he goes up into the mountain and calls who he wouldst. And this was a very important passage that turned the spirituality of St. Therese, it, it turned on that, on that axis she remarked that God does with us what he will to, wills to do with us. It is for us only to be the plaything of the child Jesus. And to love that. And to, lo to love him in that way. And she got that out of that passage. Well, that passage short precedes a parable. Our Lord telling the parable to the people. Of, I believe it's the parable of the sower. And the apostles come to him and ask him about it. He, he marvels that, that you would not know. You who are supposed to know these things, who need to know these things. You can't guess at it. And he, sa and he explains to them why he teaches in parables. Uh, he says that he speaks in this way to obscure, lest the multitude be converted and be saved. Now, in the, uh, the Haydock commentary, which is the one I have at home, it's explained that this lines up with the passages in Matthew and in Luke, in which it's explained that the reason why, what he's saying there is, those who are not worthy have shown themselves to not be worthy, because they, likewise, were told to imitate God in this little way, in the Mosaic Law, and they did not. And they were given chance after chance after chance to do so, and they did not. They fell asleep spiritually each time. And so, because they were judged to be not worthy, Christ speaks to them in parables that only the worthy might understand them, hear them and understand them. 
And this is a continuation of something that was already going on with God. Think of last week, St. Simeon and St. Anna. These were two that immediately seeing the Christ child knew exactly who he was because they had listened to everything and they had heard and they had received everything that God had given them to that point. These are the rare exceptions. The vast majority of the people of Israel, including their leaders, were deaf and blind. And because they were deaf and blind, God did not waste his time showing them and speaking to them in clear ways, but rather gave them obscure ways to understand and reach him. And such as we are given the explanation of these parables, because after Christ ascends and all of that, we'll talk about that next week, all of this is opened to us, and the apostles are given to give it to us. But without Christ, without God, we are left to our own devices and to nothing. We need Christ in order to unite and harmonize the spirit and the flesh. Well, Christ dwells in the spirit to worship him in grace and in truth, in spirit and in truth. I think that passage is, it's either in grace and in truth or it's in spirit and in truth. Christ is God is a spirit. God communicates with us through the spirit. We elevate the flesh to God by means of the spirit. And this continues that theme that we've been that I that that we've been talking about here and that I've been reading in Father Shatard's book about the interior life and the exterior life. Now Christ is about to go out and do an exterior work, incredibly important exterior work. And he goes first to Pray. Now, the only petition that he issued, now he's there, he's praying for three hours. And the only petition that we get out of all of that time is, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Now, it doesn't take three hours to say that, unless he was kneeling there by the rock saying it over and over and over again, which I can't imagine that our blessed Lord would be doing. It's uh, quite a thing that, uh, it's not really the thing that, one would repeat over and over. What, so what kind of prayer is he, what kind of prayer are we talking about here? Well, it's, it's clearly not the petitionary prayer. It's clearly not trying to escape from all of this, but rather it's a preparation. And he prepares and he prepares and he prepares and he gets to a point, his human will, his human nature gets to a point where it says, do I really have to go through with this? Do I really have to do this? And he does this and he gets to that point as he's preparing and he, his human will slackens, and he pulls it back into, into, into tautness to ready it and with each of those petitions. And the angel comes and strengthens him because of his perfection. And at last, the last time that he says the petition, on the third hour, not my will, but thy will be done. And that is the human and the divine speaking to one another in him so that he shows us the perfect way to pray. And it is this interior prayer, this interior tautening of the, of the sinews. And just like the muscles tense up before a punch, in the same way, it's the, and then loosen to follow through. That's, how, that's, that's an effective hit. He's doing the same thing. 
And so he tightens everything up, gets everything ready. And he does that by means of the Spirit. You cannot act without first preparing the Spirit so that the flesh does not act on its own, but the Spirit acts through it. For the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the Spirit must imbue the flesh with life as Christ imbues all of our actions with life. Because on our own, left to the flesh alone, we just fall asleep. And that's the real message of the agony in the garden. It's not so much, it, it's very much about our Lord's humanity, which is why so many people have talked about it as a manifestation of the salvic work of the cross. Because what's more human than what happened in the agony? You can go through all sorts of physical pains, but it's the spiritual and the emotional struggle at the agony that manifests so much what the passion was about. That's what leads so many people in down, down this heretical path to consider the agony more important than the cross. Now, it is wrong. It's a heretical path. The cross is the perfect unity of all of these things. But you can see why people make that mistake. The agony in the garden is less about our Lord's humanity in the end than it is about our own humanity and our own inability because we don't have we don't follow the example that Christ leaves for us which is to animate the flesh with the spirit to strengthen the spirit to I don't mean to use the phrase but to wind up the spirit so that we can hit with the flesh you know, it's just like just like a just like hitting a golf ball or a baseball you have to be you have to prepare everything about what you're about to do before you do it so that you do it right and that's the, that's all in the spirit and so that leaves us with a very simple prayer really when we consider and reflect upon the agony and that's that all of us as we go through this advent season preparing and and performing acts of alms as are expected of us during this season you know in the past I've I've divided up the three great seasons of the church. You have the uh, the Lenten season before and leading into Easter. You have the Pentecost season, and you have the Advent season leading into Christmas. And in each of these seasons, you have a different virtue that, by nature, is emphasized. In Pentecost, it's pray, and it's tied to Saint Paul: rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In Lent. It's fasting, it's denial, it's discipline. And in Advent and Christmas, it's almsgiving. It's the pouring out of ourselves, just like God pours himself out into humanity when he comes among us. So too, we pour ourselves out to our fellow man at this time in almsgiving. Now, all three pillars of the faith obviously operate in all three seasons, but each one of them draws our attention specifically to one of them. And in this season, it's almsgiving. And so as we prepare for almsgiving as an active experience, as an active offering, as Catholic action, Christian action, however you view it as doing the work of God, we see that the we reflect on the agony in the garden 
and really all the mysteries of the Holy Rosary. And we find that without the, without the preparation for that action, in the spirit, the action is merely human and practically ineffective. But if we prepare the spirit, it lends efficacy to the action. And so my prayer is that all of us will be able to take advantage of this Advent season to spiritually prepare ourselves for all of the Christian actions and the works of God that we should perform in the Christmas and the Epiphany seasons and all the way through the, the rest of the year. That in this period, at the beginning of the church year, we should lay the groundwork we should tighten the sinews and prepare for the great punch all the way through the rest of the year. That we might be effective and we might glorify God in the fullest way possible for us. That we, like St. Nicholas and all the other saints that act as way stations along our way to the great feast of the Nativity, might join him in his throne in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The moon is the symbol of Our Lady. The moon is for those in darkness. And I think in a special way for sinners. So that if we but look to her, who is the moon, and derives all light from the sun, we would never fall into an abyss. Now this is the rosary.